This is week, lesson 69 in our Matthew series. We're in chapter 23. And Yeshua is rebuking the behavior of the Pharisees. And we'll pick up in verse 23. And it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more weighty matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now here's what I want you to understand. I pointed out last week, and I have many times before, that when it came to living out the Torah to the letter of the law, the Pharisees were about as observant as you can get. The problem is, is they did exactly that. They lived out the letter of the law by tradition and not lived it out by the Spirit. Well, here in verse 23, Yeshua tells us just how observant some of the Pharisees were in regarding to tithing. And we don't really understand until we look at the instruction for tithing. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 is one of them, and we'll look at it. It says, Be sure to tithe all the increase of thy seed which the field is bringing forth year by year. Eat the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if the place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, Then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose and use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. And the thing that I want you to get out of this is that God commands Israel to tithe on their seed. In other words, seed that they sow, that seed that they sow. And then, of course, on the increase of their cattle, their oil, and their wine. But the Pharisees were so meticulous that they were tithing on what they didn't even plant, but what grew wild on their property. So here's the thing about the tithe. As it's spoken of in the Bible, really when you read and study tithing, it's it's a very difficult and very complex subject. Because it's really hard at times to tell whether God is speaking about one tithe or more than one tithe. And as an example, the tithe here and spoken of in Deuteronomy is for the festival of Sukkot. In, In the reading for this week, there's a tithe spoken of for the Levite. And so it's hard to tell whether they're talking about one tithe or more tithe because there's also a tithe for the poor. So it's hard to determine just how many tithes there were, but to make it really simple, we can look at what was practiced in Israel. And anciently in Israel, they determined that God was in fact speaking of three tithes. And so in Israel, they tithed about 20 or 30% of their increase. And that didn't include the gleanings that they left in the corners of the fields that they left for the poor, the temple tax, and other gifts. So the next time you curse the tax man, you might want to consider that the Israelites tithe every bit as much, and perhaps more. That doesn't mean you don't want to curse the tax man, but you want to, might want to curse them for how they're using it, 
rather than how much. Okay, so that's the legitimate tithe. But here, Yeshua addresses something quite different. He says, you tithe on your spices. God commanded that you tithe on your seed. In other words, that which you have planted. And spices, many of them just grew wild. They weren't planted, but they grew wild. And so if you really wanted to be technical, if you really wanted to be one of these technical people, you really didn't have to tithe on those things. So the Pharisees are tithing on what does not even fall under the command of tithing. And Yeshua does not rebuke them for this. He concludes they're right in doing that. You should have done the latter, he says. You should have given of your spices without neglecting the weightier matters of the Torah like justice and mercy. The rebuke here is not for tithing on what they didn't need to tithe on. He praises them for that. But he rebukes them for their lack of seeking after justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so Yeshua is saying to them, your tithing on spices is good. Now another thing, if you search the Torah, you're going to find that God speaks of the tithe only in reference to the increase of your produce. So tithing is an agricultural command. Think about it. Israel was an agricultural economy. If God didn't tithe on the produce, there would be no tax. And so then there would be no support for the Levite, the priesthood, no temple, no temple services. There would be no support for the widows, the orphans, and the strangers living in the land who would not have had an inheritance of land. There would have been no witness, no support for the aliens. They wouldn't be coming into the land because there would be nothing for them there. No outreach to the nations would literally vanish. Because this was an agricultural society. Now, a lot of times people read this and say, well, because it was an agricultural society, uh, maybe we don't have to tithe. But understand that God, because this is an agricultural society, asked for a tithe on the produce, on the land that he gave them. And then he gave them the rain in its season. And then he blessed them with abundant produce. Because it was all his. He's the creator, the owner. Now, if Israel had been a manufacturing society, as we have in this country today, the tithe, the instruction for the tithe, would have read much differently. Because if he still instructed the tithe on produce in in a manufacturing society, guess what? There would be no priesthood. There would be no temple. There would be no outreach to the nations because there'd be no produce coming in. There was no produce. In a, in, a, in a manufacturing society. And so God would have asked, the tithe would have been much different. He would have tithed on income. And I say that because many see it as agriculture and don't tithe. You see, it was an agricultural society, so the tithe was on agriculture. So the farmers were actually, think about it, the farmers were actually co-laborers with God in redistributing the wealth of the land of Israel to the poor, to the priesthood, so forth. The fact is, the rabbis knew this, and so when Israel was dispersed off the land and no longer agricultural society, but moved into areas of manufacturing and banking and so forth for their income, the rabbis determined, well, the tithe should be on your increase, on your income. And we all know the church took the same attitude. They took the same idea. They took the same portion and the reason is simple synagogues and churches can't operate without an income right 
Now, like I said, this is really a complex topic, and I don't want to get into a huge discussion on tithing. And really, that's not what Yeshua is addressing here anyway. But like I said, when many people hear that tithing is agricultural command, they say, oh, we don't have to tithe. And they use that not even to give. And it's really ridiculous and it's unbiblical just because God was addressing an agricultural society to say that you don't have to give. So I want to go to our New Covenant scriptures and find out what the nations did in the first century, what they did, what was advised them in our New Covenant. And the point of all of this is that there is some need for teaching on, good teaching on giving and tithing because we need to know what God's perspective is. Now, Shaul tells us something extremely important about God. And it's going to teach us about giving. And speaking of the Messiah, he says this in Colossians 1.15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven or that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. In other words, the verse is speaking of Yeshua, and it tells us that all things were created by God, and not only that were they created by him, but all things consist in him. In other words, they reside in him. They stand in him. Now I want to look at another verse in James, chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, Every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow nor turning. So here's the deal I want you to understand. That just as God gave Israel the land, the rain, and the produce, there's nothing. There's nothing that we have that wasn't created by God that's not a gift of God. That includes all of our talents, All the things we've made through our talents, all the possessions we have, everything that we've acquired. But not just that, everything that you ever will acquire. It was all created by God and he gave it to us. And not only were they given to us by him and in him, they consist, or we could say they stand, they come together in him. He still is taking an active role. So God not only made everything, but he has an active part in how things come together and stand. And so I want you to understand that everything you have is from God. You may go to work each day, but everything that happens there is from God. Your talent to do the work, the success of your business for your work, your business, it's all God's. It's all God's work, and it stands or falls through him. And I'm sure you all believe that, don't you? And if you don't believe it, just speak those words and fail to give God the credit and see how fast it can vanish before your very eyes. Just see how fast it can be taken from you. We're going to see as we look at Scripture that God is a giver. And when we give, we're being like our God. That we are giving of the work of our hands, the produce which is through him, we become co-laborers with God by redistributing his wealth because, in essence, it all belongs to him. Now, I want you to understand one more thing from these verses. 
Your talents, by that I mean your gifts, are God's gifts to you. If you have talents that are given to you by God, you should be using them for the kingdom as well. Teachers should be teaching. Helpers should be helping. Prophets should be prophesying and so forth. You were given these things to give those things, not just to make a living, but they were given to go back into the kingdom, back into the community. Now, we've been speaking about faith. And if we look at faith, I want to look at James chapter 2. And he says this about faith. He says, in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself without accompanying action, is dead. James tells us that giving is an expression of our faith, and if we don't express it, then our faith is dead. Or really, what he's saying is we don't have any faith. Giving is part of being a follower of Yeshua. You can't be a disciple or a follower of Yeshua unless you're a giver. And I say that because we've seen that all things were created by and through him, And he in turn gave those things to us. The reason he gives those things to us is so that we can be like him and be givers and help distribute blessing into the world. Faith is confidence in what is unseen and you by giving are showing your confidence in what is unseen. And we'll see that as we progress here. And I want you to understand one more thing from these verses. Your talents, I mean, those things, I want you to... Remember this, that those talents that God has given you are gifts and they should be used for teaching. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. And it says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, but where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, I want you to see in the same vein, Yeshua tells us that our treasure, where our treasure is, our heart is also. And so if we have a heart for God and for his people, then it follows that we are willing to give whatever to see the knowledge of God brought forth into the world and see that his people prosper as well. Giving accomplishes that in several ways. And it might be good to look at different types of giving. Let's look at a few ways that we give. There's a giving to the congregation that makes sure the ministry, the house of our worship, where we worship, continues. If you're convinced that KSS is a ministry that needs to go forward, you love the people that gather here and the fellowship and the worship and so forth, then you probably want to give to see it continue, right? And this gives glory to God in that we worship him here, we teach of him here, we have outreaches that also bring a true knowledge of him to the world. It's also, it has also uh, given glory that our services in the past have gone out over the airwaves, TV, radio, the web. You know, how many are sitting here because they heard a radio program or a TV program? Raise your hands. How many are here because they saw it on the internet? And so that blesses God as well. There are giving to the poor. 
There's giving to other ministries that do mission work. We show our love for God and his people in that we, we uh, and that none should be lost by giving to other ministries as well. We show our love for God and his people and we show that our faith and our trust is in him. And in the process, that is how we do lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven. There are is probably no greater way that you can show your trust in God and your contempt for this age in which we live is to give away what the rulers of this age value most, their money. Yeshua says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Mammon means money, riches. And by giving to the relieve the pain of others whom God loves or giving to see the work of the Lord go forth into the world, you show that in fact you do serve God and not the acquisition of things. And so giving is an expression of your faith and without giving you show that you really have little faith. If you truly believe that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, it's not hard to give. It's not hard to tithe. If you truly believe that. But if you are of little faith and little trust that God is the sustainer of all things, to include you, then you'll find that you probably hold on to your money. And so it's true, so true is it that, listen, Shaul literally commands the rich to be givers. Listen to what he says in chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Shaul tells Timothy to command those who are rich to give. Of course, We should all understand it would have been far better if he hadn't had to command them to give, but they would have given out of the love in their heart for God's people and his work. But he tells us that giving helps us lay up a good foundation for the time to come, that we may lay hold of eternal life. Now there's a verse that a whole lot of people would like to forget. I don't think I'm even going to read it, but I want to read another verse. John puts it all this way. But John puts it this way in John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know we love him because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And so, again, I want you to understand that giving is really the true measure of our faith and our love for God and those he loves. It's also a measure of our commitment to become like Yeshua. Let me say, Yeshua gave his life in about every way imaginable. He was our example, or what we could say, we should strive to be like what we should strive to be like in life. He gave his wealth and his power. He was offered the kingdoms of the world. Didn't take him. He gave of his time. He spent his entire life on earth ministering, adult life, and doing the will of his father. And then finally, he gave that life so that we might once again draw near to God. I don't think there's any more giving that he could have done. 
He gave it all. Another thing about giving, listen to this. Ephesians tells us this. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. See that He tells us here that if you're a thief, the antidote for that sin is to busy yourself with work, laboring with your hands, so that you have something to give to those in need. Giving is an antidote for the sin of the evil eye as well. The evil eye, as brought forth in Scripture, is really stinginess. When your flesh tells you, oh, I can't give because I need this money for this or for that, and then you give, you defeat your flesh. The greatest thing about giving is that if you are a giver, you are a redistributor of the Lord's wealth. And when you do that, he gives you more to give. Now, we'll find sandwiched between some verses here about making proper judgments. So let's go to Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each should give according to what he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, there's a lot of verses on giving. I could talk about giving for probably longer than I've talked about Matthew. Most of Yeshua's teachings, most of his teachings on parables are about giving when you really get down to the nitty-gritty of his parable. But here we're told that God loves a cheerful giver. How many would like to feel more of the love of God in their lives? Well, you might want to consider how you're giving. You might want to listen over the next few weeks because we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks to test whether you are a cheerful giver. You know, there's a cliché that you hear people quote, you can't outgive God, and it's become a cliche. But in essence, the statement is no cliche, it's correct. Amen. Listen to what Shaul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. Moreover, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance, so that always, in every way, you will have all you need yourselves and be able to provide abundantly for every good cause. As the Tanakh says, he gave generously to the poor, his righteousness lasts forever. He who provides both seed for the planter and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And notice that God said, God will provide abundantly in every way for your needs so that you'll be able to provide for every good cause. God takes an active role in giving into the lives of those who are givers so that they can continue in their generosity. In other words, you can't outgive God. If you're giving to good causes, he will increase so that you can give more. He's not going to give to somebody who won't give if he wants that money given away. Because he knows he'll just take it to the bank and hoard it. No, he's going to give to someone who has a record of giving. Amen? Doesn't that make sense? And notice that he quotes the Tanakh here. He says, He gave generously to the poor. His righteousness lasts forever. He provides both seed for the planter and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase your harvest of your righteousness. And I put in parentheses by righteousness, the Hebrew word that would have been used there, zedekah. 
and I put its meaning, charity. You see, we could really read this more accurately this way. He gave generously to the poor. His charity lasts forever. He who provides both seed for the planter and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your charity. And not just with money. Listen to what he says in verse 11 of chapter 9. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in everything. And through us, your generosity will cause people to thank God. You'll be rich in every way so that you can be generous in everything. Exactly the point of my example. If your gift is teaching, then get busy teaching. If your gift is prophesying, get busy prophesying. And whatever your gift is, get busy doing it. And it's because it says you'll be enriched in every way. And, and what is meant is that those who are faithful to give money, their talents, those who are willing to give of their time, because I'm going to tell you, a giver is a heart condition. Those who give of the money are the same ones you find giving of their time and their talents. So because of that, God blesses givers in every way. And verse 12 says, because rendering his holy service not only provides for the needs of God's people, but it overflows in many thanks of people will be giving to God. And that's the other point I made about giving. If done properly, it gives glory to God. And when God is getting glory, amazing things happen. Listen to verse 13. In offering this service, you provide to these people that you glorify God by actually doing what your acknowledgement of the good news of Messiah requires, namely sharing generously with them and with everyone. Isn't that an amazing verse? It says you're giving, in your giving you glorify God by doing what the gospel, the good news, requires. The good news requires us to be givers and sharers. Our giving not only is a blessing to us and to others, but it's a requirement of the good news. It's a requirement of the good news because when you do it, you become like Yeshua. Which goes back to what I said earlier. If you're going to be like Yeshua, there's no way that you can't be a giver because He gave it all. The whole of the good news is a gift. Now I spoke of how the Lord continues to bless those who are givers. And the reason is that as I said, you become a co-laborer with God in redistributing his wealth, his blessing into the world. And if you're faithful to give, he's faithful to provide. But there's another reason that you're blessed. And Shaul states that in verse 14. He says, And in their prayers for you, they will feel strong affection for you because of how gracious God has been to you. Thanks be to God for his incredible gift. Those who receive will thank you in their prayer life, in their prayers of thanksgiving to God for your deed, even though they don't, maybe not even know who gave it. God knows who gave it. Amen? And when they thank God for it, he'll bless you for it. Your charity will be remembered before God. Think about that. Your charity is remembered before God. And I can prove that to you. All we have to do is go to Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. 
There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a Roman army officer who was what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man, a God-fearer, as was his whole household. He gave generously to help the Jewish poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he saw in a vision an angel of God coming to him saying, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at the angel terrified. What is it, sir? Your prayers, replied the angel, and your acts of charity have gone up into God's presence that you are on his mind. Cornelius became the first Gentile, non-Jew, to have the spirit of the living God poured out on him. Why? Because he was on God's mind for his acts of charity, his acts of giving. Now that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Knowledge of the Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life because your giving came up before God as a memorial. He gave of his wealth. He gave of his time in prayer. And Cornelius walked right into eternity. And not just him, but if you read the text, his entire household. Because he came up before God. His acts of charity came up before God. How much greater reward can you get? 